Last week we talked about living symbols, uh, specifically the Lord's Supper, how it's not just a bare symbol, but it actually signifies something God is doing in our worship and doing in us and through us through the Lord's Supper. This week we're going to be talking about something else that lives, but it's not quite the same as a sacrament. It is a means of grace, I believe. And I believe that means of grace, we think of it as, we refer to it as worship. Our worship is something that lives if we approach it as a living thing. But I believe there are many times in our culture, many times that I've seen within our culture, where people start to think of worship as being meaningful only if it elicits a specific response out of them. The question I believe we have to ask ourselves when we approach worship, though, is what am I bringing to it? And we get this picture in today's Old Testament lesson. We read in 1 Kings 8, Then the priest brought the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the house and the most holy place underneath the wings of the cherubim. You know, Annie Dillard, uh, she's a a, a poet, an author. She teaches at Wesleyan University in Connecticut, one of the Wesleyan universities in Connecticut. She once said something that I think gives us a picture of what's happening in this Old Testament lesson today. She said, it's madness to wear straw hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets and the ushers should issue us life preservers and signal flares. Now, let me say that her view of worship is probably a bit more charismatic than mine. I'm not sure that I would go quite so far as to say we should be wearing helmets, life preservers, all that. But I think in today's Old Testament lesson... We get a picture of where Dillard is going, and we see a picture of what worship really should be. This isn't safe territory when we begin to usher into, walk into the kingdom of heaven through our worship. This really is not just singing a few songs we like. It's not just reading the scriptures. It's not just hearing a sermon. It's being brought on earth into the presence of God. And there are a number of ways, a number of stages this happens. I wonder if you have ever actually thought about what is happening over the course of worship. And I have found that this pattern tends to exist in all forms of worship, no matter what kind of instrumentation people have, no matter what it looks like. There are four basic functions of worship, or four basic parts of worship. The first one, and we see this in today's lesson, is the gathering. Again, the priests coming into the Ark of the Covenant, uh, coming into uh, the Temple of Solomon. Solomon has built this temple. He's been working on the temple for several years. The priests bring the Ark of the Covenant into the inner part of that, into the inner part of the temple. All of the people of Israel have gathered in the temple. Solomon is there. That first part of gathering is what's so important because it's in gathering that we come for purpose. That's where purpose is established in worship. I have tended to hear people say things to this effect. Maybe you've heard things like this yourself. I went to church today and I just didn't get anything out of it. Have you heard that? And that, that, that spans all worship styles. It really does. I've heard it in worship like we do here on Sunday morning, Sunday evening. It doesn't matter what the style is. I hear people say that sometimes. I think the problem is we've become consumers of church. What I mean by that is, in our culture, if I want something, if I feel like I need to go and buy a pair of jeans or I need to buy whatever, I just run down to the local store, I buy it, and I'm able to choose based on preference what I want. And I look at the things that I buy and I say, I like that, I prefer that. 
And I wonder sometimes if we don't actually approach church in the same way. Rather than approaching it as I'm bringing something to it, or I'm providing my spirit to it, we look at it as if I kind of like that, I kind of don't like that, I'm going to choose based on what I like or what I don't like. I think this is actually spiritual sickness. I really do. I think it's a spiritual sickness when we start to see everything in our culture as being given to us or something that we can simply consume, but we never create. We never actually make anything. We take, we consume, we buy, but what do we actually produce? And so when we live in a culture where we can constantly consume and never have to produce anything, the question comes back to, how do I then approach worship? Well, I believe that the way we end up approaching worship many times is we assume, I don't have to bring anything. I don't have to produce anything. I don't have to show up for anything. I can just consume what's given to me. And so we start to think, well, it was good worship if the organist or the praise team or the preacher said something that really reached me. That's not the picture of worship that we're getting in Scripture today. It's not the picture of worship we get at any point in Scripture. In Scripture, people are bringing themselves and they're contributing to worship. They're involved in the worship. They are becoming part of what's happening over the course of the worship service. And so the answer that I think Solomon and the priests and God would give to us is it's not what you're getting out of worship, it's what you're putting into worship. It's what you expect to contribute when you come to worship. And that's true for all of us. It's not just true for me or Judith or the praise team or anybody else. It's the entire church coming together as one body, lifting up God's name, singing choruses, hearing the word of God read, preached, receiving his body and blood. And so we all are coming with purpose. We are all gathering that first point of the service with an understanding that God is going to do something amazing here. And how does God respond when we do that? Verse 10. And when the priest came out of the holy place, a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. When we gather, where two or three are gathered, God shows up. God is here. Reality is, even if we don't feel like we're getting something out of it, God is present. And he's going to be present to those who are most opening themselves to his presence over the course of worship. If we go expecting a response, to have a response elicited we may or may not have a sense of God's presence. But if we go there with the sense that I am going to meet God based on the heart of worship that I bring to worship, God's there every single time. Alexander Schmemann, he's one of my favorite uh, uh, Orthodox theologians, he talks about worship this way, and I think it's a beautiful illustration of what worship is. He says, as the pastor, the priest, is coming forward, we are not simply coming forward to begin our worship on earth. God is coming down to meet us. And then he's not only meeting us, he's lifting us into the courts of heaven. And we're singing hymns, we're singing praises with the whole company of heaven. Our worship is no longer something that we're simply doing. Our worship is connecting us to the whole communion of saints as we confess in the Apostles' Creed each week. And as we're being lifted up among that whole communion of saints, we're singing hymns. We're reciting and remembering what God has done for us. 
in a word. We're being formed around God. We're being formed as community and being brought and turned into something different than we have been before. So when we show up, God shows up, but he not only shows up, he lifts us up. He takes us into his community, and he turns us into gospel people in so doing. I think sometimes people think of worship, I know sometimes people think of worship as that thing that I do, and then I move on, and I go out into life. But that's not worship. Worship is, this is the thing that transforms us, changes us, sets a pattern in our life, and then allows us to be gospel people out into the world. There's no cutoff from what we do on Sunday morning to the way we live Monday through Saturday. It's all the same thing. And so as we're bringing holiness, as we're desiring holiness and coming into contact with the holy on Sunday morning, we live our entire lives with that sense of holiness all week long. And we take it into every facet of our life as we're lifted into heaven. And then we come back down and we live into the world. It's not a matter of being cut off and then moving on with life. It's a matter of continuing. We continue to take our worship into the world around us. And then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands to heaven. Have you ever thought about the importance of the body in worship. Have you ever thought about that? What is the body when it comes to worship? What should we be doing with our bodies when it comes to worship? We sometimes think of worship as a very spiritual thing, right? Where um, it's primarily our spirit that's being fed. But I have found that the way that I use my body in worship, the way that I stand, the way that I move, the way that I show reverence, respect, has an effect on the way I experience my worship. Why do we close our eyes and bow our heads when we say a prayer? Why is that part of the experience? Well, it's because it shows us, it reminds us that something holy is happening in that. Why why take the time to have a procession like that where we come down and you have acolytes who are lighting uh, the candles and to have, as Jenny did this morning, walking down with the scriptures and holding them up and to have the pastor coming forward? Well, because it shows us something different's happening now. It's that break between what we have been and what we're coming to be. We realize in that that something is changing. Something is different about this. And that our whole demeanor and attitude changes. And as you all are standing up and the procession's coming forward and you're standing and you're bowing, why? Because the way we use our bodies says something about what we believe is happening. So as the scriptures come forward, we bow in reverent respect in order to remember what God has done, that through the scriptures, he has done something amazing for us. He's communicated to us his love, who he is, what he's done for us throughout the whole history of the world, from creation to today. The way we use our body as we're gathering has an effect on the way we understand the whole life of faith. Different traditions use their bodies differently. If you go to a Catholic church, a lot of times they make the sign of the cross. They do it because it helps them to understand what it is they're receiving. It reminds them there's something holy about this. If you go to an Orthodox church uh, or an Anglican church, a lot of times you'll see the sign of the cross. Some Lutheran churches. The idea is that we're finding ways to use our bodies in such a way that we're showing respect. 
Our body is very much connected to our spirit. And so it's okay when people raise hands. It's okay when people make the sign of the cross. It's okay when we bow, when we're reverent as we're moving forward through the procession. It's okay because it shows us reverence. And it reminds us who we are. It reminds us what God has done. And that's an important thing. So we've moved beyond the gathering. What's the next point? What's the next stop we make? Well, in order for us to understand who God is, who it is that we're gathering around, we have to be reminded in a tangible way of who God is. We have to have a tangible means to actually express to us, this is who I am, this is who you are, and here's what it means to worship me. So we gather around the reading of Scripture. This has always been a part of the church's understanding that it's not enough for me to just come up here and pontificate on some wonderful uh, things about the way God is, but that I should actually be guided. Ideally, you're not getting a message from Adam Rowe. Ideally, and this doesn't always happen this way, sometimes you get a little bit of uh, editorial <laughs> editorializing, but ideally, you're getting God's word, not mine. Even when I'm preaching, And the way that I am guided through that is I approach the Scriptures for what they say, and I interpret Scripture for what it says. But in order to get to that point, first Scripture has to be read. The congregation deserves to know what the Scriptures say before I say one word about it. Because I'm a fallible human being. I can make mistakes. God's Word is not fallible in the sense that we know how he has worked through all of history to bring salvation to us. We can trust what God would give to us through the scriptures. He has used human beings throughout the whole history of the church in order to relay to us the truth of the faith. And you deserve to hear that without my filter before I give my explanation. Perhaps some of you have been in churches, and and I, I don't think there's a problem with topical sermons. I think they can actually be very good. But I do think we have seen in the church from time to time a tendency for pastors to take, to kind of cherry-pick their scriptures in order to support a point of view that they have. So they come to the scriptures already with an idea of what the scriptures should say. They find a few texts or a few verses in order to support that. Now, what's the problem with that? Well, from my point of view, there's not a problem with it so long as the scripture is doing the leading. But if you're approaching the scripture from the point of view of I've got to make this fit in order to make my sermon fit in order to give it substance, that's the problem. Because here's what ends up happening. A lot of times the pastor ends up becoming influenced by culture. And as a pastor who is influenced by culture, you're likely to read the scriptures through your particular lens. So let's say I decide I want to tell my congregation you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. You should never, ever drink alcohol. Let's say I decide I want to tell my congregation that. And then I go through Scripture, and I'm reading all the Scriptures that say, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol, or at least so I think, or I'm interpreting that way. Well, we've got a problem, because Jesus drank wine. Jesus made wine. So now we've got an issue. I've taken my understanding of what the Scripture said, forced it on the Scripture, and said, now all of you have to believe the same thing, rather than allowing Scripture to say to me, This is what I'm saying. I think we always have a problem when we bring agendas to Scripture. And it's very tempting for a pastor to bring agendas to Scripture. 
And so the reason that we do the full cycle of readings on Sunday mornings is because I want you all to be able to listen to the scriptures and say, you know what, what Adam said was good. Or, you know what, what Adam said, it was off base. That's not right. You deserve to know what God has said. And in that, we become formed around the word of God. So we want to read the scriptures responsibly. God's word to us is life. It's through God's word that heaven and earth meet. How do you know about God if God doesn't communicate it to you in a tangible way? We have all of creation that we can look at, and we can know there's something out there that had to have started this in some way, that had to have guided this in some way. But how do we get from the point of kind of a general recognition to a specific recognition. Well, this is where the Word of God comes in. God shows us. He has used His church through the years in order to deliver the Scriptures to us so that we could understand specifically who He is rather than just leaving it out there in general. And that's where the formation comes in. God saying, this is who I am. I love you enough to actually show you. This is me. This is why you are this way. And how many of us can say that? How many of us know? I think, I know, actually, I know this to be true. Every single one of us has a war going on inside, don't we? There's good, and there's evil, too. And we constantly have this war knowing what we should do, but not being able to do it. Well, here comes God saying, hey, guess what? Here's why it's that way. He used Moses to express to us how we fell from him. And how now we have this constant struggle of trying to get back to him. How do we know any of that unless we're being formed around the word? We don't. We're kind of guessing. We're looking at the qualities, the the created order. And we're trying to figure out what God has done based on guesses we're making from the created order. God loved us enough to say, I'm not going to make you guess anymore. So when we read scripture in the church... What we're really saying is, God's not making us guess. God doesn't want us to guess. God is telling us who he is, and he's giving us the grace of that knowledge, and we can be formed around that knowledge. And then finally, we respond. There's actually a fourth part, generally. Four stages of worship. Typically, it's been the Lord's Supper. We talked about that last week, so I won't go back over it. But after we've received the spoken word, and after we've received the physical word through the Lord's Supper, then we respond. What does that look like? Well, as we've been infused, as we've been shaped, as we've been lifted into the courts of heaven, as we end our worship, we come back down into life. But we don't change who we've become. We don't separate what we've become in worship with what we're being out into the world. We're instead taking the shaping that we've been given, the changes that we've experienced, and we're beginning to live it for other people. We're beginning to show the rest of the world this is what it means to be a person who has been formed around the Word of God. And here's what Solomon says on that. Hear the plea of your servant and of your people, Israel, when they pray toward this place. Oh, here in heaven, your dwelling place, heed and forgive. When they pray toward this place, 
there is an assumption there that people aren't going to be inside the four walls of the church all the time. But their worship doesn't end. I really believe worship is life. Worship, a spirit of worship, allows us to tap into what God has made us, who God would have us to be. And as we understand that, we change. We begin to see the world around us in a different way. As we begin to see the world around us in a different way, we live a different way into the world because we have that constant contact with God. You know, the Sunday morning service allows us as one body to come together and experience God in a very special way. But the rest of the week allows us to go into the world and continue living that. And so what I would ask, what I would encourage, is that the patterns that are set for worship here, don't let that be something that just goes away for the rest of the week. Are you gathering each morning to read the Word, to be formed? Are you gathering around God and praying? Are you experiencing God, perhaps, by listening to sermons of other preachers online or or doing whatever you can in order to understand God better? It doesn't stop here and then we go on. Other pastors, and you've probably heard this analogy before, it'd be like having one meal a week, going on Sunday morning and saying, well, I only need that one meal a week and then I'm good for the rest of the week and I go on. It doesn't work that way. We're very fickle people. I don't know if you've figured that out. You know, I can come in here on a Sunday morning, feel like, wow, that was wonderful, and then on Monday morning feel as distant from God as as I ever have in my life. Consistency. Consistency that recognizes God's presence at all times, at all places, and in all things helps us to understand that our worship is not compartmentalized. It's not something that is set apart. Worship is a people that we're becoming because worship recognizes that God is in all that stuff in our daily lives, our marriages, our work, our play, our kids, all of it. But in order to be reminded of that, we have to go where God promises to remind us of that. His word, the scriptures, and prayer, listening to other people perhaps teach, and I have to do the same thing. Believe it or not, not every single sermon I've ever preached has been my own ideas. I've actually had the ideas of other people. I have to be fed too. I have to go places to be fed. And I have to do it throughout the week. Because if I just go Sunday to Sunday, by about Wednesday, I'm as dry as they come. I've got nothing left. I'm on fumes. And so we have to be reminded, worship isn't just something we do on Sunday morning. Worship is something that we take with us throughout the week. And so as we respond, as we become a gospel people, then we're prepared to live the gospel for other people. Going back to the communion liturgy that we have. Holy Spirit, come and make these gifts for us, the body and blood of Christ, so that we can be the body of Christ to the world. That is our purpose. It's not that we would just come and enjoy worship on Sunday morning. It's that we would be formed, changed, turned into something different because we've come into contact with God. So let me ask you this morning. Is your worship, when you come to worship, could you experience worship, true worship, no matter the setting?
no matter the music, no matter whether you have stained glass. The first Christians, do you know where they tended to worship? They tended to worship in caves, catacombs, because they were persecuted, and they knew that they would be killed if they did it anywhere else. Are you bringing worship to your worship? Are you expecting the worship to do something to you in order to get you in the right frame of mind? Sometimes it's, I think, easy. I think it's important to go back to that early church in order to get the basics right again. Are we like those first Christians where we could worship anywhere, in any setting, experiencing the love of God at any time? Or do we think we have to be brought into a particular setting or a particular place and experience particular things? You know what makes worship? You know what my worship style is, if you want to get down to style? My worship style is that people gather, they hear the Word of God, they respond to it, they receive the Lord's Supper, and then they live it into the world. If those criteria are met, it doesn't matter if you're singing a cappella, it doesn't matter if you have a pipe organ, if you have a praise team, it's worship. And I think that we have to, as Christians, remember to keep first things first. It's not style. It's reality. It's what's being confessed. It's what's being lived. And as we come into contact with God, and as He promises to come and meet us, that's where life begins for us. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You for worship. We thank You that You have created us, that You have actually loved us enough to give us an understanding of who you are through the scriptures. We thank you, Lord, that you have created one body through many people and that you've given us ways to understand you better. We thank you for the knowledge of the church of all ages as they have come to know who you are more and more. And so, Lord, as we worship each week, I pray that you would help us to do that with an understanding that truly something magnificent is happening here. We are being lifted up into the courts of heaven. We are singing with the communion of saints. We are connected to you and to the entire church in a very real way. Help us never to take that for granted, Lord. Help us never to forget it. And help us to glorify you at all times. Amen.